Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from Raleigh, North Carolina, the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. You know, uh, it's been a little while since we've talked about Docker, although the the industry is continuing to talk about Docker. Um, you know, lots going on in terms of what came out of the, the DockerCon 2016 show this summer, uh, lots of stuff going on around the ecosystem. And so, you know, we thought we would dive in a little bit. We haven't uh, really dug into it too much in a little while. We thought we'd dive back into it. So excited to have with us today, uh, Nigel Poulton, uh, who I'm just going to call him sort of a diversified man of tech knowledge, sort of international man of, uh, of technical knowledge around Docker. Nigel, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. I thought you were going to call me International Man of Mystery there. I don't know if you know the Austin Powers oh, show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd have liked that. Never mind. Yeah, no, welcome to the show. Um, Thank you. And, uh, you know, you, you're – so I, we, we reached out because you are working on a ton of, of, of Docker stuff, uh, and we'll dig into all of it. But um, give folks a little bit of your background because it's interesting to, to sort of see – what your background's been for a while, and then the last you know couple of years have been very Docker centric, and I, I think that transition is is going to be very interesting to a lot of people. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping it's going to be interesting for a lot of people. Um, I'm just not seeing it from enough uh, people at the moment. I don't think, but for me, like I started as a teenager coding in um, a language called FoxPro. Some of you might know that, maybe yeah. they don't. I don't know. Then I did a bit of Netware admin, a bit of Windows admin. Started cutting my teeth in the storage world, really because. Um, storage was a dark art at the time and you could demand high rate, high rates. Um, but I kind of got bored with that. And when the whole cloud movement started kicking in, started getting interested in that, and then containers came along and I've said this before, right? But, um, I really felt when I first saw containers, especially Docker, um, and the way that they brought tools that made containers kind of achievable for mere mortals, yeah, I felt exactly like I did when I first came across VMware. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of gut feel where you're like, holy cow, there's actually something potentially huge going to go on here. Yeah, and I yeah. felt it with VMware like, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, I felt it exactly the same again with Docker and containers and thought, you know what? better jump on board this ship yeah yeah no and, and and you i mean you were very very well known you still are well known uh around the vmware community um how did what what was the you know the vmware community tends to be very much a, a you know an ops side uh technology you know it's an it technology but it's it's more ops than than say developers what when you because you come from a background that's got a little bit of both, right? You said uh, you were a developer earlier in life, and then kind of ages got, ago. Yeah, oh. exactly. Um, so how do you how do you come about? You know, how do you look at the Docker ecosystem? Because you know, if I watch Ben and Solomon and, and others, uh, you know, like in keynotes and other things, it's very much a hey, we're we're trying to help developers. It's you know, it's build, ship, run. Um, but you're, you're coming at it from sort of more of a, an ops perspective. Like, how do you, how do you think about Docker and how do you kind of, you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm with you, right? Yeah. So, um, I think I take it back to when the cloud was first starting to creep its way into the enterprise. So I was there with just about everybody else, right? That was in operations and we'd heard of things like, well, it was, it was all really AWS at the time Mm -hmm. and we got, well, we got totally blindsided, didn't we, by developers going out with corporate credit cards, you know, um, procuring services on Amazon Web Services, developing on there, 
Um, overnight, suddenly it's like the business come, well, the developers come along and say, hey, we've got this thing that we've just developed in Amazon Web Services. We need you to productionize it for us or to run it. And we're like, uh, yeah, we don't do cloud here, actually. And then they would pony up with somebody from the business that's much more important than even the CIO, right? And say, the business needs this. Thou shalt deploy the cloud. I was like, oh, we, we got really blindsided and kind of hurt by that. Yeah. Now, look, when Ben and Solomon and people get up at DockerCon and various places that they speak at, and they do talk about making a developer's life easier. Um, look, those guys, I've met both of those guys in person. They're, they're great people, right? But I want to throttle them when they're doing that because I'm like, don't forget the upside. And I, they've got a bit better at it recently. But I'm just worried, right, Brian, that what happened to us with the cloud by getting blindsided by it and by being told thou shalt support it, you know, mission critical line of business production applications running on it and we weren't prepared. I don't want the same thing to happen again with containers because it's sure, okay, one thing the developer comes along and they produce all these containerized or dockerized apps, but they don't run on thin air. They still need production grade infrastructure to run on. So I'm talking here about... You know, let's just talk about Docker for the time being, right? You right. need proper production-worthy Docker engines running on, you know, in highly available formations and high performance, and you've got to be able to monitor them. You've got to log what's going on. You've got to be, you know, the auditors are not going to say, oh, well, I'll tell you what, it's all container infrastructure, right? We won't look at that. Not going to happen. Um, so I, I'm just kind of, look, I, I don't really work at the coalface anymore. Um, but I still got a lot of friends and I've got, I, I don't know, I, I care about that stuff right at the end of the day. I don't want all the ops people suddenly being told, um, spin up a load of production ready container infrastructure and have it ready by yesterday. And the auditors are coming in next week, by the way, because that's, that's like not a place I'd want to be. But it is a place that I, I don't know, I wonder if we're going to end up in if we're not careful. Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, it, it, you know, it's obvious we, we've been talking for all of you know, five minutes, you're, you're very passionate about this and you, you turn to that passion, uh, you know, into stuff that, that's going to, you know, hopefully be out there helping a lot of people. So talk a little bit about some of the, the things that you've been producing lately. So you've been making some incredible sort of training videos and content that's out there to help people. You've been writing about this. It, give folks a sense of, you know, how you're turning that passion, uh, you know, into things that, that can help them. Yeah. So, um, I do a lot of video training courses for a company called Pluralsight. Yep. And they've got an, um, this like amazing read again, right? So Pluralsight, all the top courses there are developer courses. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of like my world at the moment. I'm trying to turn that ship around so that they have more of a focus on operations and IT ops and stuff as well. But anyway, they've got this kind of really broad reach that I'm able to leverage. So I'll produce video training courses. These days I'm doing them on Docker and containers, right? Right. Um, and... Their platform lets me reach a lot more people with that message that I just said there, right, than, you know, um, I could do without the platform, okay? It's, kind of, it's a vehicle for me at the end of the day. The great people at Pluralsight, don't get me wrong, they've got an awesome platform, but they've got loads of people that sign up to it. So I'm like, heck, there's an opportunity for me to get my message out there, right? So right. I've got all these training courses on Docker. There's a bunch of people that have never heard of Pluralsight. There's a bunch of people that don't really care about video training either. I don't know. Sometimes I think in IT, well, look, I can turn around here in my office and I've got a stack of probably 20 IT books in the corner there that were massively influential in my own career. So um, a few months ago, I thought, you know what? Let's try and reach the people that don't hit the video courses and let's write a book on Docker. 
but you know what? There's like a thousand books out there on how do you develop a, you know, a microservice-based web app on Docker. Well, you know what? I'm not bothered about that. I mean, it's important, okay, but I want... Um, I'm more interested in the ops side, right? So I wrote a book called Docker for Sysadmins, and it was only released earlier this week, and it's only available in e- in an ebook at the moment. But I'm kind of I'm hoping that I can reach some of the people that don't care about video training courses or never heard of them. Yep. You know, the more traditional people that say, "I tell you what, I, I would read a book maybe on the train or something." So, um, but again, the book is very focused on IT ops. I think I put at the beginning of the book like it's handcrafted. <laughs> Sounds cheesy, right? <laughs> it, but it's handcrafted for you if you're like. Uh, a VMware or a Windows or a Linux admin, right? Um, the book's trying to give you kind of a kickstart to say, okay, reading the book isn't going to make you as good at Docker as you maybe already are at VMware or whatever, right? But I want to start you on that journey, kind of whet the appetite, yeah? Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. And it, it's, um, you know, if if the feedback that, that I see from people who have taken the Pluralsight courses is is anything like, uh, you know, what you're going to get from the book, the book is going to be, the book's going to be fantastic, um, here's my, here's my question about the book. Cause I, I bought a, I, I got a Docker book a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a year or so ago. And I, I, I have to look, I have to turn around and look at my, uh, my shelves. Is it the one by James Turnbull? Do you yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and I think I, I made the mistake because I mean, on, on airplanes all the time and, and, you know, I made the mistake of buying the paper version of the book and it's the, the trick to the books. Um, typically you would buy a book, uh, you know, and the technology, even if it got updated somewhat, wouldn't be sort of obsolete quickly. How are you dealing with the fact that, you know, Docker technology is is moving, you know, just container technology, the whole ecosystem is moving so fast. Are you are you now on the treadmill of, of having to do these updates all the time? Or how do yeah. you know how, how yeah. do you manage that? Yeah. Um just before I go into that, let, let me just say, because I mentioned James's book there, I do think James's book is a great book, right? Yep, it is. Yeah. Um but the thing is, right, so if people haven't got the picture already, I kind of spend all day, every day working with containers and Docker. So, you know, my main bread and butter income these days is doing these video training courses. Um, I've got my kind of hooks pretty deep into Docker Inc. as well as the organization through the mm-hmm. Docker Captains program. So I'm, I'm like doing this all the time, right? So as and when I, I learn anything new or as and when Docker release anything new, which is at a rapid pace at the moment, we know that, right? This thing is like, um, it's developing at a rapid clip, yeah? Yeah. Um, so as and when anything comes, I'll just brain dump that back into the book. Because the thing is, right, publishing eBooks and just publishing books, as long as you're not going through somebody like, well, one of the big um, publishing houses, which I've done before, very painful, never do that if anybody's thinking about it. Um, this, <laughs> the self-published route lets me, in fact, I've already pushed two updates to the book um, since it went out about three days ago. Yeah. Um, and, and if you buy the book from LeanPub, you automatically get the updates, right? Now, I haven't published anything major as an update yet, just like I thought I'd redo the intro to the book, make it a bit tighter, actually. But as and when I want to add content or as and when I need to change content, honestly, it is so easy to push updates to books these days that it's going to be an amount of work for me, right? But it's not the same as if I was printing a 1,500-page book or anything. Yeah, you're not stuck with with books sitting around in your office and having to chip them out and... Lug them yeah. to lug them to events and and uh, so so I'm curious, sort of following up on that that concept of of how fast things are moving. I, um, you know, when when I would teach some of these things internally to people, I would always throw up a slide that would just you know look something like you know on the left hand side, I'd have a, a a picture of VMware or VMware logo and say, hey, 
you know, once a year they're, they're putting out updates. Uh, in the middle would be something like OpenStack, which would say, hey, every six months they're putting out updates. And then on the far right, it would be something like, like Docker and say, hey, you know, every <laughs> month to two months they're putting out updates. And it would kind of be this thing to, to kind of help people understand this idea that, um, you know, w- whether or not you want to move to these technologies, you know, for business reasons, for, you know, uh, career advancement reasons, like th- the other side of, of the learning is that the learning's going to be at a different pace and, and you may not pick up every release of it. How are you, as you talk to people um, that are, that are you know, learning from you, that you're just talking to in the community, like, how are you, how are they dealing with that pace of, you know, sort of rapid or rapider pace of change, if that's a word? Yeah, well, let's make it a word, right? Um, it's really, it's interesting because, again, this kind of leads to the challenge that I see, right? The people that are kind of okay with a rapid clip of change, oh, I'm going to hate saying this, right? But quite often are the developers mm-hmm. and um, the people not so much in for the rapid pace of change are the production and the ops guys. And I get that, right? Because, you know, supporting a proper production environment change in the past has always been like uh well look i'm sure you've done it yourself right where we've pulled all weekenders all hands on deck you know you've got the cio's um mobile number on speed dial and stuff ready for when everything goes belly up and you you know everybody's in and it's all planned and it's you know pizzas for everybody that's all you eat all weekend nobody gets any sleep we kind of associate change with like, ah, oh, we don't want to do that when we're in ops and production. Right. So again, I do see a lot of these ops people that are the ones that are like, what, it's changing that quickly? Ooh, I don't know if that's for me. Yeah. It's like, well, well come on. I mean, look, I, was, I did a panel at a Tech Unplugged event a while ago where somebody from the audience effectively asked the same question. And I'm like, look, if you want to cut a career in IT these days and you're afraid of change, in fact, if you don't love change, you're in the wrong career and go and do something else, right? Yeah, You'll be happier. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the old days of like, I don't know, change every year or whatever. I mean, you know, if you were stuck on the Windows release cycle, and I'm not, I'm not knocking it at all here, right? Um, it's big code base and all that jazz. Um, but you could live a comfortable life and you'd have to buy a new book and retake your certs and stuff, I don't know, once every three or four years. Right, right. That, that's like not the world anymore. Or yeah. it's going to be less and less the world, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it's it's um, it you know it 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 brings up this this thing of you know how do you how do you figure out ways to to keep yourself fresh? How do you keep you know figure out ways to to do it? And I think the reality is um, you know whether anybody likes one of these technologies or another technology is kind of irrelevant. You know what new things come along and, and there's different flavors of stuff, but. But the one kind of constant that we've seen over and over again is uh, your your business is going to be asking you for these things. Uh, you know, some some iteration of 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 the stuff going faster, um, like that's not going to change. You know, it, the the mobile phone has changed how people interact with the marketplace. It's people are demanding things quicker. They're watching the competition pop up faster. Like it's it's just the natural sort of pendulum swing. It's, it's just now going faster than it was before. There's, there's kind of no getting around that. Absolutely. Um, so, um, let's, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned briefly, and I don't know that people totally know what this is. You, you mentioned this thing called, uh, the Docker captain program, um, and, and how you, you know, you have some relationships with, with Docker Inc, you know, sort of big D Docker incorporated. Um, talk a little bit about that program and then, and then let's kind of, I want to get your take on, kind of how their portfolio has evolved. Uh, you know, they've gone from, right. you know, kind of uh, 
open source company with some cool stuff to, you know, made a number of acquisitions recently. They're, you know, they're kind of rounding out the portfolio, which, you know, taking some strategic, uh, making some strategic decisions, which, you know, impact the, the ecosystem in various ways. Give me your, first off, give me, give us this, what is Docker captain? What does that mean? Why did they create the program? And then, and then maybe, you know, what's your, what's your take on Docker at this point in time? Yeah, so it, it's really popular, right, to compare anything to do with Docker to something similar at VMware, right? Sure. You know, we'd say the Docker engine is the equivalent of ESXi, okay? Yep. I would say that the Docker Captain's program is probably um, analogous to the vExpert program. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe not. It's, it's a small program at the moment, right? I think they've got between 60 and 80 people on the Captain's program. Yeah. Again, so it's I more feel like, maybe more like, a little bit... More like VCDX sort of numbers, Uh Almost, yeah, except you don't have to take a wicked hard exam right. or anything to get <laughs> right, there. Right, right, yeah. um, But I was just going to say, I think the program as well is maybe a little heavy on the developer side as well, and I, I keep meaning to talk to them about that. But what it gives to, to me as a Docker captain, right, is probably either weekly or biweekly briefings on what's going on and what's coming out there. So Microsoft Ignite, um, very topical at the moment, right? So we had a, an update on what's the state with Windows containers just last week. And it's a really good way to keep your finger on everything that's going on within the organization. And let me tell you, right, I don't think I'm doing them any disservice here by saying this, right, but I think they even internally find it hard to keep up with everything that's going on. Right. There literally is so much that's going on there, and I think maybe we'll talk about that in a second. But, yeah, the captain's program, so you'll, you'll, event, you'll attend events like DockerCon and stuff, and they'll have, like, an extra two days at the end where they'll bring you in and talk you to the engineers and stuff like that. So it's that great kind of um, insider view. I, I don't want to make it sound like, like there's some exclusive program or anything yeah, like, yeah. like that because that's not my style, okay? Um, but, but that's what it's like. You kind of you're, yeah, you're, you're not you're, a Docker employee, but you've got hooks inside. Yeah, you're getting insight into things. And I, you know, a couple of a couple of my buddies, guys that I used to work with, Kenny Coleman and, and Jonas Roslin, are part of the program. And, and there's yeah. a bunch of other very smart guys that are doing it. Oh yeah. Um, so so you're watching, you know, and I've and I've looked at some of the things that are on your blog. I mean, uh, you know, Docker acquired Tatum Cloud. It's become Docker Cloud. Uh, they made some big announcements at DockerCon around you know, embedding swarm and swarm kit. Give us, give us a sense. I mean, obviously you, you watched the VMware ecosystem evolve and what VMware did. Um, how do you, how do you see the Docker, you know, big D Docker portfolio evolving and then, you know, how it impacts their ecosystem, not just, you know, maybe the, the competitive technologies, but just, you know, kind of people that are working directly in the Docker ecosystem. From a business side of things. Okay. And the idea that for Docker, to be a viable long-term business, they need to cut a profit at some point. Um, I think in the early days at Docker, right, the whole idea was we'll bring containers to the world with their set of tooling that made it like simple enough for you know, normal people like us to be able to build and manage containers. And that was great. And they, they are awesome at doing that. But there's no like business value in that or there's no uh, profit to be made in that, should we say. Like that kind of core Docker engine that we might compare to ESXi within the VMware space. In the Docker space or the container space, you're not going to make money trying to sell that, okay? So they made several acquisitions of their own, I think maybe five or six acquisitions to really broaden out and fatten out their portfolio. But the focus with the acquisitions, I guess maybe with um, maybe the socket plane acquisition on the networking side is a little bit different, but all of the others really seem to have been around bringing things into the portfolio that they can charge for. And you know what? It's kind of like... because. 
it comes from like the Linux space, well, Docker does, and Linux is all about open source and stuff. And I think there's been some challenges internally and also in the community around, you know, is it right that they should even charge for this stuff? Which is kind of like, I, I don't get, I'm like, you know what? If we want Docker to be around in five years or 10 years or however many years, right, they've got to start making money or at least have a plan to make some money at some point. Right, right. So, yeah, they've really fattened out the portfolio recently with, like, the, the more high-level tools, the things that bolt around the core engine. So, like, they acquired Tutum Cloud, like you said, to um, give them, like, a, a cloud-based platform or almost a platform as a service. Um, and then they've got this product called Docker Data Center, which you can install on premises in your own, you know, inside of your own firewall. And you can, it's got a nice GUI so that you guys can all manage it nice and easily and plugs into logging and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, it, there's definitely a feel to it that, you, you know, you look at it and you say, um, you know, they're taking some pages out of the VMware playbook, right? So you can draw kind of architectural parallels to what runs on the host, what's, What's sort of the the vCenter like control, which is you know where Swarm is kind of coming into play and being more right. tightly integrated, um, you know, doing a lot of interesting stuff around, um, you know, I, I sort of uh, refer to it as sort of like their their Active Directory play, but you know the stuff they're doing around you know the the Docker secure registry and then the the scanning and, and the security piece, oh, yeah. sort of the identity yeah. and security pieces of it, um, you know, sort of have a feel of of, of like you know what what Active Directory you know, begins to do for people. Um, and, and yeah, I, you know, I think the thing with it, with the open source community is, um, you know, there, there are always the diehards that say like, Hey, it's free software. You shouldn't be having such a commercial focus on things. I, I think more so the, you know, the realization that people have is, is less about, you know, should anybody be making money? Should they be commercializing this? Because, you know, open source is becoming, the de facto thing, uh, you know, that, that enterprises want to use and, and enterprises have no problem, uh, you know, paying for support and, and, you know, wanting help. I think more so that where the open source community maybe struggles a little bit is, is just a sense of, you know, what, what is Docker doing and, and when, you know, wh- where's the difference between big D Docker and little D Docker and, you know, how many, how many architectural decisions are being sort of made in the open versus kind of just appearing and, um, you know, swarm, the swarm integration was, yeah, I think one of those tipping points where people sort of said, okay, um, you know, this, this is how they want to do business. Let's, we're, you know, we're going to have to figure that out because it, I think a lot of people were sort of surprised by, by it, it kind of, you know, just popping out at, at DockerCon and being integrated, um, without, without there being a lot of, of incubation ahead of time. And, and that's, it- I think that's more what the community is looking for. Yeah, I'd be interested in your take on that as well, right? Because I think for the longest time, Docker have been up on stage and they've had this philosophy of um, batteries included but removable, right? right? And for the longest time, the batteries that were included were a bit rubbish. So it was really easy for the third-party ecosystem to come along and say, look, we've got a plug-in for whatever, right? Logging or networking or whatever, and it's yep. way better than what you get with standard out-of-the-box Docker, right? Um, but that was never a long... Well, it was never a long-term sustainable model, at least for Docker Inc. At some point, they had to be able to say, well, we have to play a little bit of hardball with the, you know, with the ecosystem because we're not here to let them come and pick all the low-hanging fruit while we wonder how to run a business, right? I mean, I, I, I totally get that they were a little bit blindsided with the, the Swarm integration in 1.12, but I have to think 
surely they've got to have been expecting that, right? Because Docker can't live off its VC funding forever. Right. And, and I, so I'm kind of like, I think that kind of competition in the ecosystem is really healthy. Um, I don't think that the third parties should be really surprised that that's happened, but that's just me, right? And I don't want to come across as a Docker shill. I'd be keen, I mean, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think um, it, it shouldn't have really surprised anybody that, that Docker, you know, tried to, you know, in essence, try and, uh, you know, more tightly integrate their, uh, their control plane with, with sort of where the data plane is, if you will. And it's not the best analogy, but, but, you know, in essence, um, you know, so, so I don't think, I don't know that that surprised anybody. I think, um, you know, and, and if you look at what's going on in, in sort of the, the Kubernetes world, or you look at what's going on in the Mesos world or, or anywhere else, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, more, you know, the whole, kind of container slash platform as a service market has has gone through a bunch of sort of ebbs and flows it it you know it started off and then it kind of got decomposed and then it came back together and uh and then it it sort of decomposed again and and you know it's coming back together again and um so you know that that part shouldn't surprise anybody i think you're right it's um you know people are just people are trying to figure out you know, how do I, how do I work with, you know, and it's, and it's I don't, part of it is, I think it's, how do I work with, with Docker Inc. And part of it's just, you know, people are having to, to learn, you know, going back to our original point, how do I deal with, with something, uh, an ecosystem, a technology, whatever that moves so quickly that, that if you're trying to make strategic decisions, or you're even just trying to make, you know, simple partnership level things or, or other things, you know, how do I do that when the time frame is so compressed and, yeah. you know, it might change from, you know, one release to another. Um, that, that's, I think maybe a little more of what it is. Um, I get it. And, and if you're betting your business and potentially if you're a startup, you know, your life and your livelihood on something only for it right. to be changed on you without, you knowing it. I get that that's hard. Yeah. Can I just mention Kubernetes for a second? Absolutely. Right? So, sure. Like, like I'm a massive fan of Kubernetes, okay, right? And I appreciate that the swarm mode stuff that came in Docker 1.12 is like, uh, it's right in the face of Kubernetes, okay? Mm -hmm. But I think it's such a good thing for Kubernetes because as much as I love Kubernetes, it's hard, right? I mean, it's still harder than it should be to build and scale a Kubernetes cluster. And the swarm mode stuff in Docker it's like it's on by default with like security and TLS and key rotation. You don't even have to do anything, right? Right. And, and I think that can only be in the long term, right, a positive thing for Kubernetes. Because I don't want Swarm to take over and be the only product in that space. I want Kubernetes and I want Mesosphere, DCOS and things like that to be competing because competition at the end of the day is what drives innovation. And I, as much as, you know, it was a... Uh, a surprise to some people, the long-term view, in my opinion, right, is that this is going to make all of the other products in the third party up their game and uh, get better. At least I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that. And I might be a bit naive, but look, Kubernetes ain't going anywhere. Yep. Um, so that's going to that's gonna be definitely up to the challenge. That'll get easier. That'll get better. In turn, it'll push swarm mode on. This is like, it's an exciting ecosystem to be involved in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, my, my two cents on it um, is, you know, there, there's definitely a, uh, a distinct difference from a user experience when you're, when you're building something. So, so the, the guys, the folks at Docker have done 
a fantastic job of of not only building some interesting technology, but they they've had a very distinct eye on on kind of user experience, right? Try and build yeah. a very simplified, clean user experience. Um, you know, whereas obviously, you know, Kubernetes comes out of, uh, you know, kind of Google's DNA and that whole community's DNA of, you know, thinking about kind of robust, larger scale architecture. And, and those are two very different kind of experiences, right? So it, it, it lends itself towards, um, you know, are you trying to optimize for an awesome sort of day one experience, if you will, which is is really important these days because there is such little friction in getting the software and getting something up and running. So so there's an aspect of that, that you probably should focus on that to a certain extent, uh, maybe not you know all of your time, but you want to focus on that to a certain extent. But at the same time, you know, after day one, you know, on day, you know, 173 and 286 and, and everything else, um, you want to make sure that what you've built is robust and is scalable. And, you know, and I, and I think if you were just being a very, you know, very good, being a very simpleton sort of person, you would go, um, you know, on day one is, is Kubernetes a great experience? No, not really. It is, it is difficult. It's sort of well-recognized. It's not the simplest thing in the world, but there are a lot of efforts that are trying to make it simpler. Um, but on day 173, is it, you know, has it proven to be pretty robust and you hearing people talk about it in, in production. Yeah, it's been, it's been, you know, w- what they expected. Um, you know, the swarm kit stuff on the other hand, day one, awesome experience. Like you said, two, two lines, two commands comes up, runs, you know, joins the cluster. Um, and it'll be interesting to see as people move beyond initial kind of POCs, you know, what does day 173 look like for, for swarm kit? And that's, you know, still to be determined. And, and I think it's going to be determined somewhat, you know, I think we'll see different experiences. People that have a, you know, a 20 node cluster versus a 2000 node cluster, you know, may see very different experiences because it, the, the one thing about Swarm that didn't get talked about a whole lot, at least SwarmKit was, you know, it introduces this sort of peer to peer type of architecture, which, you know, has certain characteristics to it, you know, design characteristics that are different than, um, you know, other kinds of architectures and so forth. But yeah, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that all plays out. But I, I just think, think it's it's so healthy that we've got these two great products there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, you know, the Swarm stuff will make the Kubernetes stuff simpler. Yep. And potentially the Kubernetes stuff will make the Swarm stuff more scalable and more, you know, enterprise and production. I, I don't know. You know, where each is deficient, I see a bright, rosy future in my naive, rose-tinted glasses where we've got these two or three awesome products in the future. Yeah, no, I, I, well, and, and, and we have to sort of step back from this a little bit. I mean, this is, this is technology that quite honestly is only a couple of years old. Um, you know, the majority of people still aren't using this all over the place. I mean, there are some, you know, big things in production, uh, you know, and using various technologies, but it's, it's still early. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, we've got a really healthy competitive market. We've got a lot of smart people focusing on it. And I think, um, you know, we're going to end up seeing good things come out of it, uh, you know, regardless of, of which way the market votes. And, and I don't think this is by any means a, a zero sum game. I think we're going to see, you know, a, a pretty good set of, of sort of market breakdowns between, uh, you know, this technology, that technology and the other one. So um, real quick, I, you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you're getting some deep dives on on Windows containers. And we've been talking a little bit, you know, behind the scenes about, you know, Microsoft and Windows and um, what are you hearing in that space? I know Microsoft obviously does a lot in terms of big 
you know, showy demos and stuff, but are you getting a sense of, you know, where that windows plus containers technology is at these days? I think so. Yeah. Um, so just dialing it back a bit, I was, um, told on pretty good authority that, um, Satya Nadella himself was, you know, the guy who said we need to get containers shipped as part of windows, uh, server 2016. So, you know, I understand right from the very top, it's been prioritized. And I've talked, I've been in sessions with some of the uh, Microsoft kernel engineers. Oh, my goodness. Smart guys, <laughs> right? Talk about stuff that I could only dream of understanding. But the point is, right, they have been working hard to make this stuff work. And they have had to make it hard. Uh, sorry, they have had to work hard to make it work. Sure. Because the Windows kernel just was <clears throat> not ready for this. When you th- I don't know, you know, the Linux kernel has been having things put in there kernel namespaces and C groups and all kinds of things for years that have only just come together to say, wow, we can effectively build containers now. Microsoft had to like really cram that into a very short development cycle, but I've had my hands on them. Um, the user experience is very much similar to, um, you know, so if you're a, if you're a Windows or a, a Linux admin, you know, the, the kind of commands are if you're a developer, the experience is very similar, okay. Tell you where my big question is, right? Um, the ultimate goal, I understand, is to have feature parity between Docker for Linux and Docker for Windows yep. so that, you know, the same networking features are available on both platforms, the same swarm capabilities are available. You could maybe mix, mix and match, I don't know, Linux and Windows nodes in a swarm, right? And... I don't know, every time I've seen products grow like that and have almost two separate development streams but try and keep feature parity, it, it's really difficult to push forward at the kind of rapid pace that you're used to. So it's going to be interesting to see you know, whether some of the, the feature development slows down a little bit. might not be the worst thing in the world for you know, potential production customers at, at big enterprises. Um, but that, that's a big question for me at the moment. As cool as this all is, and I do think it's very cool, um, I'm like, ooh, that's going to be interesting trying to, you know, develop two code bases on very different kernels and, and what have you to do the same thing. Right, right. Yeah, no, the, the, the Microsoft ecosystem around containers is, is fascinating. It's, uh, they're obviously pumping a ton of money into it, which, uh, like you said, I, I, I don't doubt for one second that Satya is, is the one driving this. He seems to be, you know, kind of the, the one pushing them into, oh, yeah. you know, a whole different set of technologies, which is, you know, turning out to be very good for, for Microsoft. And, um, but, but you're right. I mean, it's the, the Linux, the Linux kernel, you know, just has so many of these things there that windows didn't have. Uh, people are used to a more rapid innovation pace. They're used to an open innovation kind of yeah. model. So it's that, that piece is going to be very, very interesting to see, uh, what happens with it. But, um, I, Brian, I've just got to tell you one thing, just in case some of the listeners don't know, right? So at the moment, at least, if you're running Windows Server with the containers feature on mm-hmm. and you want to run just a Windows container that does like Hello World or something, then you've got to download what they're currently calling the Windows Server core image. And it's, well, last time I checked a couple of weeks ago, it was nine gig. Wow. So just to run a Hello World container, you've got to pull down a nine gig base image which is totally different to the Linux world, right? And it speaks volumes of, you know, some of the technical debt, if that's the right term, I don't know, inside of the Windows kernel. I don't know if they can fix that in the future. And don't get me wrong, if you wanted to run two Hello World containers, it's not two times the nine gig okay. But that that's, it's you know, just, when you start it's, looking... It's just enough of that base image that sort of gives you the impression that you're doing, you know, Docker-like stuff, I guess. 
yeah, it's Docker-like stuff, but it's like, oh, when you look under the covers, some of this stuff is still quite a ways behind. Let's yep. just say that. Yep, yep. So I'm going to wrap this up with sort of one one last question. Um, what do you what do you see? I mean, obviously you're 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 working on stuff that is is trying to encourage a lot of these you know uh, VMware admins. Let's say that's the the core audience to move towards understanding the, the container ecosystem, um, probably, you know, for their, for their best interest. What do you see? I mean, you know, lots of changes going on at VMware, uh, obviously with, with all the stuff going on with their mergers and, you know, people coming and going. And I mean, like, how do you see these, the sort of transition or blend from what's going on in the core VMware virtualization ecosystem to, you know, what the, that, that group's world is going to look like as, as containers become more relevant? Um, so if I'm understanding what you're asking, right, um, I think, so I, I don't see a world where containers replace virtual machines, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes containers are going to run inside of virtual machines and a lot of the time they're going to run alongside them. So, you know, if you've built up, I don't, I don't want to use the term empire, right? But if you've built up, um, a career, let's call it around virtualization, I don't see it going away any, anytime soon. I actually, I see it being complimentary. Look, in my last job where I was like, boots on the ground person. I, I ran um, storage and Linux teams. And almost everything was going into the virtualization team. The storage was kind of making its way into there. Some networking stuff was. Um, it's like it's almost like if you're a VMware guy or a virtualization guy, you, you're still in a perfect position, I think, to like benefit from the container world. You've just got to skill yourself up, right? Sure. You've got to make sure that I mean, imagine where your career would have been if you'd missed the virtualization wave right now. You'd be on the sidelines somewhere, wouldn't you? Right. right. Um, and, and I would just say, don't, don't ignore containers because they're coming and like burying your head in the sand is not going to make them go away. They're actually not that hard to learn either and to play with. So um, get, wrap your head around them and just go ahead with your career and add another string to your bow and be that person that when the business comes along and says, hey, we kind of think we need to build some production-grade Docker infrastructure. You can raise your hand and say, hey, you know, give me a, 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 a role on that, um, you know, give me a place on that team. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think, <clears throat> you know, as we're seeing containers emerge, I mean, like, like you said, networking is still an issue. Storage is still an issue. Security is still an issue. So all those, so all those kind of core skills that people have, uh, you know, they, there's a natural evolution there. They, they, they evolved when they became virtualized. They'll evolve when they become containerized. Um, and, uh, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. So, uh, give us a plug for, for all the places that, uh, you're not only helping to, to make people smarter, but, uh, you know, give us a plug for, for the podcast that you're on as well. Yeah, so um, I help co-host a weekly technology news podcast, the In Tech We Trust podcast. Um, I do Docker training videos at pluralsite.com. I always feel like I need to spell that out, but I'm not going to. Um, and uh, if you are interested in learning about containers and stuff, yeah, check out my book, Docker for Sysadmins. Um, and you know what? I'd, I'd love your feedback on it, good and bad, because it's the first Docker book I've written um, and I, I want to know if it works for you. And if you buy it on LeanPub, you automatically get the updates. So anytime I add content to it, it's yours for no extra cost. Yeah. And if you tell me, hey, it sucks the way you've explained this, you know what? 
I'm cool. I'll go and fix it. That's right. Yeah, just make a pull request and uh, yeah. <laughs> collaborate around. Good well, idea. Very, very cool. Well, listen, folks, uh, you know, I, I can't highly recommend Nigel's stuff uh, enough. Um, he's been cranking out a ton of really good things. Like he said, he's he's heads down working on this all the time. Uh, insight into what's going on in the Docker community, insight in what's going on in the container community. Uh, thank you so much for being on this morning and uh, love having you. And uh Look forward to talking to you again soon. So well, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Folks, thanks for listening to the show. For Nigel and for Aaron, we will be back next week and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 